Let's kick it off with the former Minister of Agriculture and Trade. We always enjoy an argument slash discussion with him here on the country. Damien O'Connor, uh, Stuart Nash, was he right or was he right? Can I just clarify, that song certainly wasn't from me to you, Jamie, uh, that you started <laughs> off with. I'm not sure where they got it. Come that on, Damien, you know there's <laughs> mutual respect and a wee bit of love there. I mean, I wouldn't vote um, for you look, either, but I still enjoy chatting to you. I do too. Uh, look, Jamie, I haven't actually seen what Stu said, and, and I got questioned going into caucus this morning, and I, and I had to say to him, look, I haven't seen it, um, been focused on other things, and so I can't really respond to you either. I've just come out of caucus to speak to you. Come on, Chippy silenced you, hasn't he? No, 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 it hasn't at all. No, in fact, I'd like to know what was said. What, what I can say is I guess if he's quoting stuff that took place in Cabinet, it's not really kind of kosher. We don't do that. We, we have some pretty robust Yeah, but, 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 but he's a former Cabinet Minister now. He can say what he wants. Well, yeah, it's maybe true, but, you know, I, I think that the protocol generally is that, that the way we go through these processes, which are really, you know, are quite tiring at times, are kept. You know, what goes on tour stays on tour, as we know. The same thing applies to Cabinet. Not if you're a disgruntled former minister who got the heave-ho from Chippy. It's called grinding an axe. Look, I, I, I'm not going to go there other than to say, you know, people make their own judgments on it. As I say, there is a protocol, and I think that, you know, we all have our moments of tension in, in politics. It's a tough game, um, you know, and, and I guess people choose their own ways to kind of follow well, that Well, OK, through. Damien, senior didn't hear what he said. I'll give you the Coles Notes version, and for people who are old enough, that's what we're used to do to bluff our way through school cert in UE English is read Cole's yeah, notes yeah. Read, rather than read Death of a Salesman or something dreadfully dull like that. So he basically said he wanted to be tougher on crime and uh, Kerry Allen and Chippy stopped him from doing so, especially with the gangs. And I think Stuart Nash, for what it's worth, Damien, was one of the better Labour ministers. At least he stood for something. And look, all I'll say is that, that this area of crime is a really complex one, um, and uh, obviously the government has a proposal to take off gang patches. It'll be harder to know who's in a gang then. Um, there's a whole lot of complexities that come into it, and ultimately, you know, decisions were made within Kevin on the basis of all of those things. Um, this The government's now been voted in. It's going to do what it wants to do, and we'll just see how, how effective those things are. Do you wish you were in Abu Dhabi at the moment with the World Trade Ministers for that WTO meeting, or will this just be an enormous waste of time? Because I see that, uh, let me have a look, the Dairy Companies of New Zealand, or whatever they call themselves, sorry, the Dairy Companies Association of New Zealand is called, yep, DECANS, thank you uh, for that acronym, uh, are calling for an immediate capping of agricultural subsidies uh, and urgency in reducing them to prevent and correct production and trade distortion. That is called peeing into the Norwester, with all due respect. <laughs> yes, slightly. I'd probably agree with you on that one. And, and look, we've been calling for the reduction of subsidies, you know, back from the 80s. And, and actually, we're a very small country. We're one of about 160 at WTO. And, um, you know, we generally feature because of, I guess, the consistent, respectful way that we deal with our um, ministerial colleagues, um, you know, we the, the old idea that we punch above our weight. We certainly we, we speak with more mana than perhaps we might deserve given our population. That doesn't mean to say that you shift the dial immediately. We certainly made some progress last year on fish subsidies. Um, agriculture, you know, will be on the table. How much progress is made is hard to know, but of course I'd love to be there. These are the international fora that, um, you know, we can have some 
genuine influence into um, and as I say keep making progress even though it might not be at the pace we'd like. Now I see Stephen Jacoby he's a trade expert he represents the likes of Fonterra, Silverfin Farms, Zespri, our big exporting ag companies and he's, he's quoted as saying and this will come as no surprise to you Damien there's a zero chance of an agreement for further cuts to agricultural subsidies and tariffs at the Abu Dhabi meeting. I think that that would be probably my summary as well. But if we if we make some progress in that direction, and it will be, I guess, establishing the arguments of, of unnecessary emissions. So if you've got subsidised production, it's it's the wrong production in the wrong place. Uh, unnecessary emissions. Maybe there's more focus on that. Uh, you know, wasted capital. There is there is a growing argument to be more efficient in the terms of utilisation of people, of resources, of, of effects on climate, and that generally, um, it, it, those impacts are reduced if you reduce subsidies and inefficient production. So, But it's going to take a wee while to get there. Here's an interesting one. Ministers at this trade talk fest uh, will consider a request by India for a permanent dispensation for subsidies paid to its farmers. Now, the history behind this is India was granted a temporary pass by the WTO in 2013. This was to help it build up food reserves to use in times of food shortages to keep its poorest people from starving. So what makes India different from any other nation on earth with starving and hungry people? There's a lot more of them. Um, that's a great start, and and they, you know, they rightfully put forward the view that, um, you know, if you have um, a bad climatic event, if if you have a bad season, then you know, a five percent reduction in in your food, if you're totally reliant on it, um, you know, can mean starvation for millions and millions of people. And so they have this view that we need to hold public stockholding, which is a whole lot of their grain or their their food production, needs to be st- held in reserve. Um, and that's okay. The issue is when they have the reserves are full and they've got a good year coming on, then they dump those reserves on the world market and that tends to crash the prices. Those are the issues, particular issues around public stockholding that most of us have uh, with them. We, we accept that they can have some public stockholding. That's been New Zealand's kind of unofficial position. But they've got to actually reduce other subsidies and distortions and not release that food into the international marketplace. So we've taken a responsible approach to India's position. It's not one that that others necessarily take. Um, We've got to work our way through this understanding that we're five million, um, you know, they're well over a billion and and still growing. So we have to understand their pressures on food supply are different from those of us, of Europeans, of the US. But somehow, if we're to make progress, Uh, We all have to agree. The numbers are staggering. Just before we move on to something a bit lighter, OECD estimates there are already $817 billion in agricultural subsidies being paid to farmers by governments around the world every year. Damien, I put it to you that this won't go away in our lifetimes. Well, no, it's been a big challenge. And and we, you know, subsidies came off... um, uh, farming systems in the 80s by the Labor government on the basis that we had to be more efficient in using our people, our capital, our land. And I think that's actually shown, you know, to, to be the right decision. Um, and and trying to sell that to the rest of the world has been a challenge. Um, and there's a lot of politics in keeping food cheap for it so that 
there's people who end up paying a whole lot more for their phones and their um, their bank charges and everything else, but they also seem to demand cheap food. I thought that COVID may have reset that and helped us on the journey to more efficient, more uh, effective utilisation and production of food. But um, it, you know, we're still in a in a real mess. And until it's straightened out, we will have a lot of wasted resources going into wasted food. A third of the food in the world is wasted. With all those distortions, very hard to expect um, some kind of reasonable marketplace for food across the globe. It's interesting that you mentioned the Labour government of the 80s, Longy and Douglas, of course. Um, Roger Douglas, in some ways, was a bit of a visionary, but from a farming point of view, they were the most disliked Labour government of all time until your second term, Damien. I think you guys eclipsed them. So, so would people go back and do they want to put the subsidies back on? Because there's no, 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 no. I'm not criticising Longy and Douglas. So, I'm so criticising you and Jacinda and Chippy. Well, I think maybe then in hindsight, people might think that what we were trying to do to bring in a sensible emissions regime for agriculture so that we can sell higher value products to the world, um, to have better utilisation protection of soil and water um, and better animal welfare, all of those things might in hindsight be seen as absolutely necessary and, and maybe sometime in the future might think they might think that we were trying to do the right thing. Well, in 30 years' time, when Rowena's still grinding away on this show and she'll go back and say, you know, the uh, Ardern-Hipkins-O'Connor government of the early 2020s was visionary. Mm, I wonder whether that'll happen. Anyhow, on a lighter note, uh, Damien, your nephews, Peter and Nick, were grand finalists last year in the FMG Young Farmer of the Year competition. And Rowena pointed out to me that back in the 80s, Back when Longy and Douglas were in charge, you were at the regional final, I think a couple of years uh, in a row, for the Tasman region. Tell me about that. Uh, yes. Well, for West Coast, yes, I went to the, the Tasman final. I think I got third was the best I got, and maybe fourth the, worst, the, the, the other one. But, um, you know, it was quite a different competition, but the concept was the same. That is that lots of young people from young farmers clubs came together. We competed on, on different things. I remember having to iron a shirt uh, in my first ever competition. Hadn't done one before, um, but it's held me in good stead as, as a politician. I have to say that it was novel. It was exciting, and, and, you know, we had great numbers of people in, in the Young Farmers Clubs then, and that's been carried forward to what is a very sophisticated uh, and challenging competition, one that puts good profile for our farming sector, but it should be live on TV as it was, um, and, and uh, you know, maybe we attract more young people into farming, which is, is still dearly needed. Yeah, I agree with you there 100%. 1987, Leo Volbrecht, is it? Uh, was the, yeah, yeah, it was the Young Farmer of the Year, and in 1988 it was Hugh Wigley. Do you remember any of those blokes? I do remember them. Yeah, I bumped into Hugh uh, not so long ago, yes. I do remember them. Uh, you know, we travelled around. I remember going to a conference in Hawke's Bay. It was, it, was, it was an exciting time, even though, you know, change was, was happening across agriculture. Uh, the young people that I associated with all, all were very, very positive, and we were... You know, farming goats, catching deer, um, you know, talking about growing passion fruit and all sorts of things that, that were innovative at the time, just as we're seeing some of that innovation now and it needs to continue. Please, Damien, don't mention farming goats in the 1980s. It still hurts. Did you lose a bit of money? Well, 
people lost a bit of money on the basis of, of, of capital gain rather than actually looking long term. And, and there, I, I remember people saying if we could get $4 a kilogram for, for venison, you know, the industry would thrive. And, uh, you know, and it had its ups and downs, and it's still an industry with huge potential. Um, but it started back then, of course. See, Damien, we can agree on some things. We can, absolutely we can. <laughs> and I think there's hope for you, Jamie, but you just got to listen to Ray a bit more. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> One final question for you. <clears throat> were you a member of the Labor Party or a Labor pa- Party voter in the 80s when you were in the Young Farmer regional finals? No, I wasn't. I wasn't really involved. See, I, re- I reckon you would have been voting national and you're a bit like Stuart Nash. No, not a, not a bad I, bloke, but you're just in the wrong party. So, so I went along to one of the protest meetings at Addington and and heard it was Peter Elworthy. I was travelling with Owen Jennings um, at the time. I think my father would travel over from the west coast. So there was lots of good health, healthy, robust debate. Um, you know, Peter Elworthy was was up against it, trying to convince the farmers that this was the right thing to do. But you know, and I, I was listening. And, and I'm, I don't think I ever voted national, thank God. <laughs> Damien O'Connor, always good to catch up on the country. Thanks for taking time out from your caucus meeting where you weren't silenced. See ya. <laughs> Thanks very much. Bye-bye.